0: This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by Hydroflask, maker of beautifully designed insulated bottles, cups, and coolers, and a company that believes that every adventure starts with two simple words.
1: Let's go. And we are going to do an awesome, awesome hike today.
0: That's Myrna Valerio, ultra runner, adventurer, and advocate for increasing diversity and body positivity in the outdoors.
1: I like to lay out my clothing the night before I go out on a hike make sure that everything is ready so that I'm not rushing in the morning and so that I have more time on the actual trail.
0: As Myrna knows well, every successful outing begins with being prepared for whatever the trail has in store.
1: What I do is I make sure, first of all, that I don't have any cotton on, um, including my underwear. I always bring with me a rain jacket that will keep me dry. I always carry my phone with me and my phone is always, always charged. And last but not least, I have always two water bottles on me. It will assure me that I always have something to drink.
0: Hydroflask wants you to get out there and enjoy yourself, just like Myrna, which is why all of their water bottles, cups, and coolers are designed to keep their contents at the perfect temperature all day long, whether you're in the mountains, at the beach, or just in your backyard. Shop for yourself or the outdoor lovers on your list this holiday season at Hydroflask.com. From Outside Magazine, This is The Outside Podcast. When you think of great heroes in American culture, you probably conjure images of astronauts and Olympians, scientists and firefighters, soldiers, and I suppose the occasional politician. What you don't picture are a group of overlooked brave souls who almost never get the credit they deserve, the small town librarians working with limited resources and a whole lot of spirit they find the most creative ways to support their communities but wait why are we talking about librarians on a show that's supposed to be about outdoor adventure well as you'll see in today's story which was reported by longtime outside magazine contributor frederick rymers there's this very enterprising librarian in maine who figured that an operation set up to lend you books also, loan you things that are all about getting
2: you to explore the world beyond your front door. In Portland, there was a comedian and he asked, Anyone here from Millinocket? And my friend didn't raise his hand. And the guy started making jokes that people in Millinocket buy their house at the dollar store. This is Wally Paul,
0: a longtime resident of Millinocket, Maine, and former power plant operator at the Great Northern Paper Company. Millinocket is situated in the northern part of the state, surrounded by hundreds of miles of forest. It's the heart of what locals call the wood Basket because it once supported a prolific timber industry. For more than a century, Millinocket was this thriving, almost boomtown, all thanks to the great Northern Paper Company. Then, in 2003, the company filed for bankruptcy, and by 2008, the mill closed for good. And Millinocket began sliding into economic depression.
2: When I was a kid, the mill was was expanding rapidly, and as they were expanding, the town was growing, and every house, it seemed like, had four or five kids living there. It was really quite a place to live growing up. At its peak, Millinocket had in the neighborhood of 8,000 people. It was a small town, and It supported the mill, basically. I mean, there were people who worked in the mill, and then there were jobs that supported people who worked in the mill, you know, stores and businesses and whatnot that did that. If you are probably 55 or or older and have lived in the United States or probably in North America, you have held Great Northern Paper in your hand. Your school textbooks were likely printed on Great Northern paper. Your phone books, especially your yellow pages, were manufactured here in Millinocket. This was a worldwide company. I say we, I keep saying we. Everyone who worked there still feels that attachment. People say we when they talk about the mill because we were part of it. It's not a huge mystery why, in
0: the 21st century, a mill that makes paper for newsprint and phone books would close. I mean... When was the last time you used a phone book? But the closures hit the town hard. Unemployment shot to 22%, and the town's population eventually shrank by
2: half. It was hard times. It was hard times for us emotionally and and uh, financially and any way you can imagine. This town that had been a, our lifeblood and our lifestyle and just how we lived just suddenly was no longer available to us anymore. Being a mill town all our life is this was, a, this was a funny place. It was a small town, but everything around here was top shelf. It was a Norman Rockwell kind of place, and suddenly it was not. And our, our sense of community was going, and we were just going to be a bunch of houses where there used to be a town. The low point of Millinocket slide was probably when the library closed
0: six years ago. Without a tax base, the town simply couldn't afford the library's $160,000 budget. It was a painful loss. Libraries stand for so much in our society. Knowledge, initiative, culture, betterment, and the fact that all of this is free to any citizen.
2: There had been a library in town since Millinocket was first started, and there was a congregational church here that had a a back closet with an outside door. And in like 1903 or 1906, That was the first public library. People donated books and just had it on an honor system that people could take it out. So libraries have been a part of our community as long as we have been a community.
0: But the town council was desperate to cut expenses. So they voted to shutter the library in 2015.
2: They had to do something, and the library was, the, was an obvious one. I mean, you can't cut out snow plowing or, or police protection or fire protection. I mean, you just those, are, those were more essential, and the library was the, was the expendable one.
0: The library went dark for about three months before a group called Friends of the Library convinced the town council to set aside $30,000 to turn the lights and heat back on while they staffed it with volunteers. And well, you know that quote, "Libraries store the fuel that fires the imagination." That's what happened. There were about 30 volunteers from Millinocket working to keep the fire burning, sometimes literally.
2: I'm not by any means the handiest guy in the town, but I was like trying to keep the furnace going and everyone had taken on jobs that they were doing and trying to make it go. It was, it was pretty tough, it was pretty depressing. So this was, this was something that people could do to stop the fall, to stop the drift. It involved a lot of things, mowing the lawn, you know, coming out here and shoveling snow in the winter, getting the, the steps cleared off so people could get in and out of the building. We started catching people's imagination. And uh, we got the doors open. It was nice. In
0: 2016, the Friends of the Library scraped together enough money through bake sales and auctions, tax dollars, and small grants to hire a new library director. And they started reviewing applicants. At the top of the list was a young man
2: named Matt Delaney. One of the women who had been a driver in keeping the library going, came to me and she said, if we don't hire him, I'm going to quit. I, I thought, well, that was pretty good. Matt is a great guy, and he's, a, he's an interesting guy in that he's the type of person who listens more than he talks, you know? I think he's more interested in knowing what you know so he can know it too rather than telling you what he knows. Matt was this
0: bespectacled, red-bearded, thoughtful guy who was tired of being a cog in the huge Syracuse, New York library system. At the time, he was 35 years old and looking to move to a place where he could ride his bike or run on trails. He was also hungry for a challenge, so he took the job. In late 2016, he and his partner Emily, along with their two dogs, moved to Millinocket. There was only enough money in the budget to fund his position for a year.
3: I was looking at five different libraries to to go to and the other places I was looking, they were much more stable. But the thing that was really attractive about the Millinocket Memorial Library was that the town was beginning to think about like reinventing itself and the library, as I saw, could be a really key part of it. I thought about this job as uh, you know, the library sort of being representative of the rebuilding of the community. The daunting part was initially just trying to gather the information and really understand what I was stepping into.
0: Matt was eager to get to know Millinocket, which is a remote insular community that hasn't always been so welcoming to people who are, as they say, from away. So we set up a story booth in the library where people could come in and tell their life stories into a voice recorder. A common theme was the tension between the town's past in the timber industry and its potential as an outdoor recreation hub. Millinocket is just 25 miles from Mount Katahdin, one of the tallest mountains on the east coast and the northern terminus of the Appalachian Trail. The town was also the epicenter for a decade-long battle over the creation of Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument, which was designated in 2016 by President Obama on land donated by Roxanne Quimby, the founder of the natural products brand Burt's Bees. Many Millinocket residents had fought the monument every step of the way. And then, the same year it was established, another philanthropist announced plans to build 15 miles of bike trails just east of town. And the International Mountain Biking Association was building another 15 miles of trail right in Millinocket. So there was all this outdoor recreation infrastructure being created, but it wasn't being embraced by a lot of the citizens. And Matt wondered if there was a way that the library could somehow be a bridge. We would
3: find a way to connect locals who had been living here, who had family history here, connect them to this future, which included a more diversified economy, including mountain biking. But there was not any sort of like bike scene in Millinocket or the Katahdin region. And so although all of these mountain bike trails were being developed through an organization called Katahdin Area Trails, We weren't seeing a lot of kids riding bikes or families riding bikes.
0: It was then that Matt had his big idea. What if the library, in addition to lending books, started loaning outdoor gear? That, he figured, would help more locals access the trails being created in their own community and grow to appreciate them. But a big idea is just an idea. Matt had a lot of challenges standing in his way, including not having any gear to lend out to townspeople remain skeptical of building their future on outdoor sports. Naturally, this is when the story gets really interesting. That's coming up after the break. At the top of the episode, ultra runner Myrna Valerio told us what she packs for an adventure. The right gear, snacks, and two Hydro Flask water bottles.
1: There are only about three things that you have to worry about. Good shoes, good clothes, food and drink. And last but certainly not least, you have to have a map. Actually, that's four.
0: (laughs) Once you're out on the trail, Myrna suggests that you keep a few rules in mind.
1: The first and probably most important rule is do not litter. And if you do see litter, pick it up, put it in your bag, put it in your pocket, and dispose of it when you get back home. Another important rule of the trail is to let faster hikers pass you by. Don't be a f-ing trail hog.
0: <laughs> but Myrna's most important rule is that everybody belongs outside.
1: One of the biggest misconceptions about hiking or any other outdoor activity is that you have to be in a specific kind of body. But guess what? That's a lie. You can be in any body.
0: Hydro Flask has partnered with Myrna and other inspiring outdoor professionals on a new video series called How We Go that has them sharing tips to help people of all skill levels get more out of their favorite outdoor activities.
1: Get outside. That's all you gotta do. Get outside. Don't listen to what other people have to say. Don't listen to those negative voices in your own head. Get outside.
0: To watch episodes of How We Go on everything from mountain biking and yoga to fly fishing and bouldering, follow HydroFlask on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook.
1: I'm Myrna Valerio, and this is How I Go.
4: Hi, everyone. I'm Marin Larson, associate producer of The Outside Podcast. And before we get back to our story, I wanted to quickly let you know about a new opportunity to travel with outside editors on epic trips to Alaska, Patagonia, Everest Base Camp, and the French Alps. We recently partnered with the outfitter Modern Adventure to create custom itineraries to these iconic destinations, and on each inaugural journey, an outside editor will join you to share campfire stories and expertise on gear, fitness, and travel trends. If you join Outside Plus now, you'll get a $200 discount off the trip price. Learn more about what we're planning and about how you can be a part of these adventures of a lifetime at outsideonline.com modernadventure.
0: So there was Millinocket librarian Matt Delaney. He's in a small main town with burgeoning outdoor recreation resources, including 30 miles of brand new single track, but very few local riders and zero bike shops. The closest retailer of outdoor gear was an hour away in Bangor. But it just so happens that a regional nonprofit called the Outdoor Sports Institute, which helps rural communities get into human-powered recreation, was looking for new ways to loan out the 29 bikes that it had. Matt figured, you know who is really good at loaning stuff out? Librarians.
3: And so our idea was like to to set up a community gear hub or a community bike shop uh, right downtown. The one thing that we had to figure out was what was the risk of getting people on bicycles and sending them out on trails. And as it turned out, liability insurance, as you can imagine, was one of the big uh, was something that we had to take care of. That was probably the biggest hurdle was trying to figure out how we could get liability insurance to protect the library when kids went out and potentially got into an accident. And so initially, when we proposed this idea to our insurance agent, they were like, uh, "That this isn't a public library thing. There's nothing, we don't have anything that could cover that.
0: But Matt wouldn't give up. And eventually, he convinced the insurer to cover the program. The next hurdle was finding a location. And then he had to make sure... It wasn't going to upset any of the town's existing small businesses.
3: One of the things that I had always been thinking about with the library was making sure that we didn't impose upon or take business away from any other successful operations. There was no bike shop in town. And so this felt like a space that we could kind of move into and add some service without taking any, without being a competitor to to anybody else. There were a lot of vacant storefronts, and I spoke with an owner of one of these vacant storefronts. I explained that right now you don't have people going through this building. Um, You have a lot of competition of other vacant storefronts. So what if we put our gear library here and it would attract traffic and attention to this space? And in exchange, we get to operate our gear library out of this.
0: The pitch worked, but that vacant storefront, it was a skinny little corridor that needed some love if anyone was going to come in and check out a bike. So Matt, his partner Emily, and a volunteer bought some lumber, a couple cans of bright paint, and went to work.
3: We put hooks in the wall. We painted a giant gear library logo on the wall in purple and turquoise, built a workbench, and within a matter of probably like two or three weekends, we put all this new energy into the space and we opened up. And so that, you know, you'd walk past this space with Christmas lights and uh, purple and turquoise paint and a bunch of tools on a pegboard, and it it drew all kinds of people and locals and tourists, a lot of people finishing the Appalachian Trail. Ironically, uh, we were successful enough that the building actually sold, and that was why we had to leave. And That's happened a couple times with the library where like we moved from the we moved from our main building when we did a major renovation, we moved down to a restaurant called the Pelletier restaurant, and it was the same pitch. We'll bring a bunch of traffic and activity and attention to your space, and maybe it'll sell and that happened there too. So it feels like every place the library goes into we end up like fulfilling the promise, which is somebody gets interested, buys it, and then we get kicked out.
0: The gear library was cranking. They expanded their catalog to paddle boards, kayaks, snowshoes, cross-country skis, even a couple of pairs of ice skates. Almost all of it provided by the Outdoor Sports Institute. People were borrowing stuff almost every day. But a library that lent out gear still struck some folks as odd, and maybe not an idea that would last. At one point, this briefly included Matt's new co-worker.
4: When I started at the library back in 2018, I was the the volunteer coordinator, mostly for our, our circulation desk volunteers.
0: This is Diana Furukawa, who came to Millinocket right after college on a community development fellowship. Her work with volunteers was critically important, because at this point, Matt was still the only library employee on the town payroll.
4: I think probably on the first day I was working there, Matt Delaney took me down to the gear library space and showed me all of the bikes. And I think the connection was a little hard to make at first. I didn't understand why that was connected to the library or why it was a part of it. But I think that that very afternoon, there were some teens hanging out in the space and kind of fiddling with their bikes. And I got to see him check out bikes to someone visiting the area. So I've, I've been learning a lot as, as I go.
0: Today, Diana runs the day-to-day operations of the library, which is where she recorded this interview. So you might hear kids in the background checking out gear. And that's actually a lot, like checking out a book. You pick out something that looks interesting. The librarian goes over any safety protocols, scans a barcode, and it's yours for a week. All you need is a library card.
4: Anyone in Maine can get a Millinocket Library card for free, and if they're outside of Maine, it's twenty bucks, which is still pretty good. If you're gonna go and rent gear in the area, you know it's still probably cheaper to do this. There has been a lot of investment in uh, building out spectacular, world-class trail systems in the Katahdin region, but often locals don't utilize them because it can be prohibitively expensive to purchase fancy mountain bikes or kayaks or paddle boards. So this just gives them an opportunity to try that out and see if it might be something that is right for them. It gets them outside and moving, um, which is really good, healthy fun.
0: The Katahdin Gear Library has also begun offering tutorials and programs, like bike maintenance clinics. This past summer, 15 local youth programs went kayaking, paddleboarding, and mountain biking using the library's equipment. And then there are the stories that show you how all this stuff and all these people borrowing it really began to change things around Millinocket, like the guy who needed a bike for a lot more than recreation.
3: I don't know if he had, he couldn't cover his auto insurance, so he didn't have a car and he couldn't drive, but he had to work a few miles outside of town. And so he came in to borrow one of our mountain bikes and he would use it to get, to and from work every day and he'd have to keep renewing that bike because it was his primary mode of transportation and it turned out actually that he ended up working on trail building you know 15 miles outside of town so he was able to actually connect to the trail building the, the trail riding part of it but for him the the main benefit of the gear library was it was transportation to get to and from work. A kid borrowed a bike came back to us and said the bike had been stolen. This kid I knew kind of had a rough life at home and we didn't want to like penalize him too much but we said we'd look for the bike. As it turned out, the guy who was using the bike to commute to work, I don't remember why but he felt like personally inspired or motivated to go find it and it had been like chopped up, parts taken, they were all around town. There was a police report made. The police couldn't find it. But this guy who would ride his bike to work, he made it a personal mission to find our gear. And he found, like, pieces of it behind people's houses, and he brought it all back in different parts. And we reassembled the bike and got it back into circulation.
4: This man came in and wanted to check out gear. And he said to me, you know, I've never done this before. And he was pointing at a mountain bike, and I kind of assumed that he meant he'd never ridden a mountain bike before, but he kind of admitted that he'd actually never ridden a bike before. And so (laughs) we got him geared up with a helmet, and he was a little too big to do that thing you do with little kids where you kind of like hold on to the bike from the back, but I was keeping an eye on him and kind of spotting him with the help of one of our interns, and he did a few laps around the parking lot. I think it was pretty exhilarating for him, uh, if a little scary. I see a lot of grandparents coming in to check out gear and share with their grandkids. There are a lot of kids in this community that are at least partially raised by their grandparents, but also, you know, grandparents whose kids might be coming back to visit the region and they really want to show them something that they, they did when they were younger or a special place that they used to paddle.
0: Which brings us back to Wally, the former power plant operator at the Great Northern Paper Company who we heard from at the start of the
2: episode. My grandchildren, when they they come up to visit us, we took them to the library. They got library cards. They've gone snowshoeing and definitely kayaking. We have taken out kayaks and and used those extensively and having a real good time with it too, i got to say. In 2018,
0: Matt was named Maine Librarian of the Year for his efforts at revitalizing the Millinocket Library and creating innovative programs like the gear lending operation. But as Wally explains things, Matt's ideas did more than just revive the library.
2: There are people who come to town to get the kayaks and get the canoes and get the winter gears and the bicycle and stuff and use this natural beauty that we have claimed for ourselves for so long. And and now we are sharing and actually seeing the benefits to, to doing that part of it is the economy of it you know for for us when you're in a small town that loses major industry you wind up being a service business so if you own a restaurant and you're part of the wait staff at that at that restaurant having people come in from out of town and uh, having supper and leaving tips that's the that's the type of thing all the The gas station, there's always a line frequently with about half the cars are from out of state. Our town manager, when I was on the town council, told me that when a car drove into Millinocket, it was worth $200 per person in the car per day to the economy. We were a mill town. We deliberately isolated ourselves from from the rest of the world, and we were kind of famous for it. Now we get to join the real world, and it's people coming here to have fun. They have smiles on their face and looking to enjoy themselves, and that's who's wandering around our town now. It's it's nice. It was kind of a miracle. These days,
0: the Katahdin Gear Library is booming. In a town of less than 5,000 people, there are more than 2,000 library card holders. And patrons have checked out 2,500 pieces of gear since 2018. Millinocket's economy is also on the upswing. Home values are rising, and new people are moving to town to start businesses or to work remotely, drawn in part by the outdoor amenities. A $300 million data center is being built on the old mill site, using the river to cool its servers. Matt Delaney has moved on to head up a bigger library in Bar Harbor, Maine. But the Millinocket Memorial Library is in good hands with Diana. She plans to once again move the gear collection this time to a larger storefront downtown. Ultimately, she says that what happened in Millinocket is about more than getting people into healthy outdoor recreation or reviving the economy of a small town. It's about lifting up a community.
4: This library is about the place that we're in. We want to celebrate this place and have a sense of place. It's about connecting people to resources, to tools, to enrich their lives and empower themselves.
0: Wally believes that what they accomplished in Millinocket is an example that should be followed.
2: I hope that this is contagious. I hope that, that small towns everywhere start getting turned back around and start getting their life back and their vitality back. I think we're doing some inspirational things, and I'm hoping that uh, people will, will be inspired and do what we're doing in the same way that we've been following others around and doing what they do. We should grow this. I've reached a point in my life where I'm becoming nostalgic about things and getting to uh, getting to talk about my town and my, my place and, and having, having worried that it was getting kind of dark around here, but the sun seems to be coming up, and we're, we're getting it back.
3: We built this program that people love that they see themselves in that they feel a part of and and as i've gotten older like that that to me is really important when you can find a group of people or a community that you feel you have some role And by including locals and families and children in rebuilding the region, that gave them agency and made us all feel that we were rebuilding this community um, from the ground up. And it wasn't happening to us, but we we were sort of the authors of our story. For me, just being able to be part of something and have a clear, meaningful way to contribute, that's what it's all about.
0: This episode was reported by Frederick Reimers, written and produced by Frederick and Patty O'Connell, and edited by me, Michael Roberts. Music by Louis Weeks. If you haven't been to your local library in a while, because of COVID or other reasons, now might be a good time to pay a visit, even if they only loan you books. This episode was brought to you by Hydroflask, maker of beautifully designed insulated bottles, cups, and coolers, and a company that believes that every adventure starts with two simple words, let's go. Shop Hydroflask products for yourself or the outdoor lovers on your holiday list this season at Hydroflask.com. The Outside Podcast is made possible by the support of our Outside Plus members. Learn more and join at OutsideOnline.com slash Outside Outside podcast listeners get 25% off an Outside Plus membership with the coupon code OUTSIDEPOD. That's OUTSIDEPOD, all lowercase.